Hi everyone, welcome to Totally Dissolved, where we discuss all things coffee through the lens of education. I'm Kathy Hilberg. And I'm Bronwyn Serna. With the help of subject matter experts, we explore different facets of specialty coffee to educate ourselves and you. Thanks for joining us on our journey in an education in caffeination. October. That's why I did that spooky thing in case anyone was wondering. And it's almost Halloween. <laughs> um, have you been to a pumpkin patch yet? I haven't. Yeah, there I, I don't remember the last time I went to a pumpkin patch. I kind of want to take my nieces and nephews to. I, I don't know. think my niece would remember it, so we'll go next year. <laughs> I usually just go to the grocery store and buy a pumpkin, and I leave it in front of my house for a little bit, and then I bake it, and then I turn it into pumpkin puree, and then I bake that. Into pie. And bread. And whatever delicious pumpkin treats we have. Precisely. Um, what's up? What's, what's up? Going on? Just got back from Bend, Oregon two days ago. Made a little visit. I guess I also went to Portland because that's where we flew into and hung out with my friend Jasmine. Yaz, as we call her. Um, yeah. Got to visit Proud Mary for the first time. Lovely. Um, I went to a barista location for the first time in years. Um, and the baristas were super nice. I actually got to try some barista roasted coffee, which I don't think existed the last time I was in Portland drinking coffee. So that was cool. And I uh, went down to Bend, visited my old stomping grounds, as they say, at Back Porch, except it was a location that didn't exist when I lived there. And then I went to visit Lone Pine Coffee Roasters as well. Amazing. Which... Is significant because it's what's in our cup, and it is very delicious. Yeah, uh, Lone Pine Roasters. Anytime you want to be on the podcast, let us know. <laughs> this yeah. is awesome. My um, buddy Caleb Hooley gave me this bag of coffee. Um, yeah, Scott is the owner, but Caleb's worked there for a long time, and um, yeah, handed me a bag when I came in to visit. It was super nice. He said he listened to the podcast. Thank you. So yeah. That's really nice. I It was like a particular episode he mentioned, and I already forgot which one it was, but it was nice to hear. Always nice to hear. And yeah, it's a, it's a good chocolatey, easy drinking Guatemalan. Yes, uh, it is the Guatemalan Arlam y Yosmi. Tastes like dark chocolate covered cherries. I could drink this all day. Yeah, it's very pleasant. I like want this with my breakfast kind Aww. of coffee, which we all need a breakfast coffee yes because coffee morning time is coffee time but in but also during podcast time so So 5 39 is also coffee time um how how have you been we've had a busy week and i'm also prepping to go out of town yes we're gonna be hitting up nashville for the very first time i have never been uh we get to go visit Josh Littlefield and Abby Chibaro. Friend of the pod. Yes. Both so, friends of the pod. And also no free coffee. So nice. I'm very excited to go see all of those people. Yeah. 
That sounds great. And maybe even visit the Grand Old Opry. Because mm. that's the only thing I really feel like doing is going to music stuff over there. Fair enough. Yeah. So. Very cool. Yeah. But we'll get to hear about your trip on the next episode. Yes. Um, but today. Today. We are talking with Marcus Young. One Mr. Marcus Young. All about technology and coffee. So, stay tuned. Hi, Marcus. Welcome. Hey, thank you. It's <laughs> nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So today, we have Marcus Young from Cropster talking to us about technology and coffee and... We wanted to do this. I've been wanting to do this episode. I don't know about Kathy, but I thought that. No, I didn't. <laughs> I thought. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but just thinking about um, our, our previous season's episode with Tommy and espresso machines, I know I was super curious, especially because we had talked together, Marcus, previously about the new technology that Cropster has developed and is integrating into the La Marzocco espresso machine. So I thought it would be very timely to talk about how kind of technology has progressed over these numerous decades in coffee, especially in specialty coffee, um, and on more of the actual kind of the barista front, how it's made its way from like the roasting world into more of the kind of the front lines of coffee. So that's why I was so excited to have you on and wanted to put you on season two. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic because I think thing that that I've personally been thinking about at Cropster, and I know a lot of our team has too, is as we roll out a project or a product for baristas and for coffee retailers and managers and all of that, how do we, you know, how do we kind of capture what I think became really successful with our roasting tools, which was like roasters kind of gamifying it and really having fun with it and, you know, also finding value in it, but, but clearly not feeling it was like a technology of big brother watching over your shoulder. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm painfully mindful of like that, of the optics around that with these kinds of tools. Right. So I love hearing you say like, you know, kind of from, from the barista perspective, because that's, that's how I try to approach it too. Amazing. But before we get into that, what is in your cup? What is in my cup? I, well, I, I'm drinking a coffee that I was gifted at Coffee Fest up in Seattle, where I was, uh, what, a couple weeks ago now. And I saw Bronwyn there, which I think was, was were you there? Did I no, see you No, I was, was not there. LA? I'm that, thinking back it, to LA. Yes, oh you saw God, us at LA forward. Coffee Fest, but. But in Seattle, my good friend, Dane Loris, we used to work together at Sustainable Harvest and his family owns Visions Espresso, his brother works for La Marzocco, and he's now taken over um, really the coffee program at the Family Roasting Company, which is Blossom Coffee Roasters. Amazing. And it's a Ethiopia Sadamo Waicho, um, which is one of the primary cooperatives there. Um, and it's just beautiful. It's a super clean, washed, kind of classic Ethiopian lemon zest and like apricot, 
super sweet like sugar cane just like this really clean kind of bright sweetness it's just awesome that sounds delicious that sounds so good and i love that he has gone to work back at in that amazing little garage um i remember roasting for when with pat and don when it was still Bashon coffee company and it was probably my favorite roasting gig because i got to roast on an island that's in cool. one of the most beautiful places <laughs> and it was it was phenomenal on a very beautiful probot 15 kg which they don't make a lot anymore so. right and yeah, and it's just a beautiful machine in such good shape, right? When, like, a family that owns, like, a tech company owns a roasting machine, it tends to be pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love it. And this is actually a coffee that I've tasted quite a bit of and evaluated as part of the work that I do as a coffee buyer as well. I also consult and buy coffee for some roasting companies. So it's always fun to taste a friend's interpretation of a coffee that I know pretty well. Yeah. And do they use Cropster on that machine now? Because I remember back when I was roasting, I was still doing everything very much by hand. I was logging my roast logs just in my little right. notebook. Yeah, that's a good question that I should know the answer to, but I didn't go poking <laughs> around to see. You know, with all, with all the customers we have, I can't keep track of all of them. And when I see Dane, I want to hug him and talk about his family. and <laughs> Non-coffee-related things. That's fair. Totally fair. Um, but I also, I mean, I learned how to roast on an old machine with just uh, air temperature gauge and a piece of graph paper. So that's kind of still my heart, even though I work for a tech company. Um, Marcus, will you give the listeners just a little overview of like your coffee career and maybe also just say your job title? I think we're going to talk plenty about what you do and kind of what you're involved in, but just so everyone knows a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah. So my title at Cropster is something very technical sounding, which is befitting a tech company. It's like demand generation manager. What that really means is I manage our content teams and marketing efforts um, and um, education efforts. Great. Um, I came to Cropster after being a Cropster customer and user for a lot of years. I spent um, oh, five years setting up and then running a SCA Premier Campus um, boot coffee campus here in the Bay Area, training, I don't know, 300 students a year from all over the world in mm -hmm. roasting and cupping and sometimes barista skills. Before that, I was a coffee trader and coffee buyer with Sustainable Harvest, coffee importers in Portland. I also lived and worked in Kigali, Rwanda, where I helped to found Question Coffee, which is a roastery and cafe um, in Rwanda, now run by Rwandese, which was the plan from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, operated and opened another roasting company with a large nonprofit called Central City Coffee in Portland before that. And then it's like all just a blur. You know, I worked for Batdorf and Bronson in their wholesale program for a lot of years. Before that, I was with Pete's, which seems to be like the ultimate like diaspora of coffee people about my age. <laughs> we all seem to have started at Pete's. Um, and fun enough, I was just back in the Pete's roastery that they had like in the 80s and 90s. Wow. Um, with Jen Apodaca the other day. Oh, so, wow. So cool. Kind of cool. It all comes around. But so just a, just a couple coffee things that you've done. Yeah. A couple coffee One things. One or and, two, yeah. And it does kind of come full circle, really, because, you know, the, when I was making a career change and decided coffee might be my future, I was actually working for a tech company at that time. 
and, well, and I here know, you are. And here we are. And it was like this, I had clients that were coffee roasters and that those meetings were always the best meetings. And I said, ah, oh, forget about this tech IT stuff. Let's, let's focus on coffee. But now here I get to do both. That's very cool. Given your very multi-varied background, can you, you make be, it sound like I can't focus, Bronwyn? Come I'm, on. I can't focus right now. Years. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man of many talents. Um, can you begin by giving us a little bit of context? How did technology begin to be integrated in coffee? Right. That's a great question. And I think, you know, and I have my personal story. And then I think there's also kind of Cropster's story because here we are 15 years on now um, and really from the early days. And I think you know, for me personally, and this kind of mirrors the history of Cropster, when you're working in a producing country, often you're working like sort of under the umbrella of an NGO or some kind of a philanthropic funder. Um, that was certainly my case in Rwanda. There's a huge need for data and for transparency in the work that you're doing and to be able to sort of prove the value of the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, and that's in some ways where Cropster started. Our three founders, Norbert, Martin, and Andreas, were found themselves as three Austrian guys in Colombia um, working in coffee and in IT, and they created this product for coffee farmers, um, realizing that there was a real need for data tracking. And and to this day, when you go to most coffee farms, I think you both can, can validate this, it's a whole lot of like big notebooks with tiny writing like locked in a safe at night, recording cherry deliveries and processing loss and all of this stuff. So moving all of that kind of out of out of paper and just out of people's minds into software is huge. So that's, I think, you know, from my perspective, kind of where it starts is really at origin. But also realizing, and this is the part of the story of Cropster too, you know, if you're if you're working on behalf of coffee farmers, that's sort of the most at-risk element of the industry, and there isn't a lot of extra money to spend on tools like this. And you end up kind of being an NGO on your own or always looking for somebody to fund projects. And that's, I think, what made the company shift to, um, to roasting software because there's also a real need there and also a little bit more cash available to pay for those types of systems. But, you know, personally, I think it's I've just seen technology used in so many interesting ways in coffee. Back before I was in coffee, when I was in IT, I had a customer who thought, you know what, let's create a website, let's sell coffee, he was a coffee roaster, let's get people to subscribe so that they get coffee every week, and oh, by the way, I want to buy coffee from like Guatemalans that I know and have an impact there, and I want to have something that's not like a crappy chocolate bar or a magazine subscription that the local band or like scout group can sell, and you know, so that was kind of a cool tech play, right? It's like if if I show up and I knock on your door and say, Kathy, you know, will you buy this candy bar and support the band? I would get almost all of the proceeds from that first sale. But then if you subscribed, it would flip and the roaster would get all the proceeds from that sale. But the, ag the agency or whatever would get something like 10% back. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of an ongoing benefit. And then on the retail end, I think I remember being so inspired in Blue Bottle's early days when I was visiting, talking with Stephen, who was the coffee buyer at the time, like just, you know, trying to sell him coffee, tasting coffee together. And the baristas were dialing in and they had like a Google Doc open. And it was a Google form and they would type in like all of their brew recipes. And you know, here's my 
my weight, here's the water, here's the water temp, here's my TDS, here's my flavor notes. And then suddenly that populated a spreadsheet where everybody in all like six or eight cafes, whatever it was at the time, could compare notes. Mm -hmm. And people that were sitting like a, um, in like a training role, like you, Kathy, or sitting even at like an ops role or like a roasting QC role, could really see how the coffee was performing over time in the cafes with such a simple tool. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, those are some sort of inspirational moments for me with, with coffee and technology. So obviously, like, as coffee professionals, we've seen needs for technology to help with consistency, quality, communication, as you just pointed out. Um, and on some level, incorporating technology has accomplished this. Can you elaborate on how we've seen that so far and how it is furthering to develop in other aspects of coffee? Yeah, absolutely. I think the most the most sort of salient recent example would be through COVID, when everybody started working at home and suddenly companies that were used to working very closely together, I'm thinking like green buyers and roasting teams, suddenly found themselves working from home and had a very real need to be able to cup coffees together, even though they were separate, and to share notes about that. Yeah. Um, along the same lines, I think producers and these groups that you know organize like large coffee auctions and trips like the you know Colombian Coffee Federation that always has like a best of Colombia kind of activities they also had a need like how can we still engage buyers even though they're not like traveling and coming to our live event um, and collect their cupping scores and and compare them and have lively discussions even if it's on a zoom call so I think that that's one one example where it became super, super important mm -hmm. um, kind of recently. Um, and then I think, you know, on the roasting side, it's really been this evolution of folks like data logging by hand and being aware of things like rate of rise, but more kind of like just doing the, the quick math in the moment, you know, calculating it over like, you know, 10 seconds and multiplying by six kind of tricks, right? Um, and seeing if you're on your way to your milestones to suddenly being able to visualize all that and to like almost instantly start analyzing what was happening in the roast. And, and I think now the way we talk about roasting is a direct, like part of the direct lineage of, of that technology and that internet of things and being able to plug your roasting machine into a computer and log everything. I don't think that we would have like Scott Rao writing about roasting the way that he writes about roasting. I don't think Rob Hoos would be thinking as deeply as he's able to sort of break down development phases. I don't, it's, I don't think Ann Cooper would be thinking about development degrees the way that she does if we didn't have those tools that made the data capture part so simple. I think especially in roasting, that type of data collection and data analysis has been so just groundbreaking in terms of roasting where you see a lot of roasters now have that capability of taking production roasts to another level, so to speak. Can, now that that same type of technology is now being put into espresso machines, can you talk a little bit about that? And I know that there's been a few test, test cafes in Europe and the implications of that, 
of that when we were discussing it earlier um, just blew my mind. Right. Yeah. It's so. So that's like the next logical progression, right? From the Cropster standpoint, is you know we really sort of set the standard for plugging your roaster into a computer. Well, what can we do for coffee retailers? And we've just released our like Cropster Cafe 1.0, if you will. That's not an official name. That's just in my mind. Um, and it's that idea. Here we are. La Marzocco came out with their IoT enabled machines, which is like the GB5, the Linea Classic, Linea PB, and the KB90. And they're little black box machines that connect to the internet. And they've got their Lamar Zoco Pro app, which lets you track some of the data. Um, and from that, you can connect it directly to your Cropster account. And suddenly, you're not able, you're not only able to track the data, but you're able to log it um, in real time. And, and keep that data and log that data over broad time windows and report on it over broad time windows. Um, so that's super exciting. Um, and it's fascinating when you start looking into the data. Um, my co colleague at Cropster, Andrew Driscoll, who joined our team to really focus on Cropster Cafe, he was looking through the data just from our own internal testing, just from like our own connected machines. And it's cool because if you start looking just at um, like flow rate, temperature, and extraction yields, right? You get all of these graphs, and you can compare machines at different locations. So you can really start visually looking at how similar are the extractions from cafe to cafe. And you know, and what happened as expected? It's like the data is a mess, and there's no consistency at all. And over about a week, like things get a little bit better. Over two weeks, things are getting super tight except for one machine that was just a mess. It was just like bizarre. You couldn't, you know, couldn't figure out what was going on. But then suddenly, boom, within one day it comes into compliance, if you will. And the hypothesis is that somebody just realized that that machine had an 18 gram basket instead of a 20 gram basket. Once they put the right size basket in, not right by any metric other than what the other cafes had, boom, suddenly the shots started looking much more consistent. Um, so I think there's a ton of power in, in having that kind of visibility and, and having the ability to troubleshoot even from a distance. And I think about Stumptown and all of your cafes and in multiple cities and with baristas of varying talents and even within one city but with you know different pieces of equipment. Yeah. You know, having the ability to not only distribute a recipe but then let the baristas modify that recipe for their own use but then also be able to compare the data of tasting notes or TDS or whatever it is you have the time and wherewithal to, totally. to track. Yeah. Do you have any examples where, because you have Cropster like with a roaster, and if that roaster also has a retail, like you could share that data between baristas and, and the actual like roasting and production team and seeing like, oh, this over time, this particular coffee that we had this blend of, you know, coffee from Guatemala and Ethiopia, for example, like, and they, the baristas dialed it into these specs, like how does that perform over time? And right. the, yeah. the communication I, between those two departments. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so exciting for me, right? Like it's, it's a, 
big challenge. How do you get like a roasting department to know what's happening in retail and to care and kind of the other way, right? There's a lot mm -hmm. of blames. Oh, the coffee sucks today or uh, you, something <laughs> happened with this profile. I mean, like whatever, right? I mean, I've heard it from both sides. Um, yeah, but now you're able to, to track all of that. And, you know, depending on how a company's using Cropster and creating, you know, getting the coffee into the bags, you could literally track a single roast batch all the way into a cafe and view its performance and then see when they change to another roast batch. Like that's pretty powerful. Um, yeah. Wow. But, yeah, I, but I, I think to your point, right. It's like who, who's sort of the flavor deciders in the company. Right. Yeah. And we're, we're working with this with, um, with the company that I buy coffee for in our retail stores is there's somebody from retail, there's a head roaster, I'm kind of part of this discussion. There's another person from retail that's splitting time at the roastery on QC. And now they're able to set the recipe in the lab, broadcast that recipe out to all of the stores, just in the app in Cropster. And then those stores can either take it and run with it as is, or if they feel they need to modify it, that gets logged as well. And the roasters can see what's happening. And it's most powerful, of course, if somebody takes at least a few minutes to type in flavor notes on both sides and make sure that we're kind of in that wheelhouse of, of how it should taste. So it's, it's great. I mean, it's a combination of the human element and training, but I think it can be supported by the technology to make it simple, to simplify it. Um, and even to simplify, right, like is it an issue with the baristas, is it an issue with the water, is the water temperature just too cool on this machine and maybe it needs maintenance and service, right? Like is the flow rate all screwed up because there's, it's time to descale the machine? I mean, it can give you those kind of insights too. Yeah, that's so cool that it can help with that stuff too. And yeah, because I feel like that's something that people forget about sometimes, hopefully at the level of people like actually deciding to like, get Cropster Cafe that they're not, but it's a way that you can sort of rely on not doing it too soon just because like it's been three months or it's been six months or whatever. Um, right. So just as like a really small part of what it can do, that's really cool. Right. I mean, and that's another piece that's just integrated into it because we took a look at we were as we were building this and, you know, I mean, a couple of things. We don't want to have people like in retail, of course, living in a tablet. So it has to be pretty seamless. Yeah. Um, but we also realize like, there are, aren't very many good task management solutions for coffee retailers. Like just something that mm -hmm. says, hey, Marcus, have you back flushed the machine? It's halfway through your shift. Or yeah. when was the last time somebody swept the floor? Or maybe it's more like, you know, you know, monthly kind of preventative maintenance tasks that can be flagged. But just a place mm -hmm. to like log that, track it, assign it to somebody and have it checked off. Like, I was amazed when I started kind of working on this product that there was nothing out there to do that. It's like, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but why hasn't one of the POS systems just built that in? Like, it's kind of insane. I think part so, of it is that, like, speaking of coffee and technology, none of the POS systems, at least that I've worked with, are really geared specifically towards cafes. I have heard that Toast is maybe a little bit better but they all exist to be used in a general like retail atmosphere, including right. like a restaurant, which I do think more cafes are adding menus that are more like robust than what cafe, like the sort of cafes that we came up in, 
used to have, but, um, and so I, sure it makes sense, but you know, we still at Stumptown have pastries and coffee. We don't need the 800 options that you have. And it would be really nice to have some of those other things being built in there. Like even just like, it doesn't have to be specific to coffee, but just like, when is the last time we had the air filters changed? When's the last time we cleaned the condensers on the fridge? And if you don't write it down somewhere, then it's going to be hard to keep track of. Um, and yep. so, yeah, like you're saying, like being able to keep track of that stuff specifically for the coffee equipment, because that's the focus of the right. product that you're putting out. Um, I think that makes a huge difference, but yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but with our task management, it can live anywhere. It's like, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be tied to the coffee. It can literally be tied to like, did you lock the door? Did you clean the condenser? Did you clean the grease trap? Like whatever it has to be, has to be tracked. Yeah. It's just there. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's like in, in some ways it feels like such a small piece of the greater Cropster Cafe puzzle, but it's one that I kind of nerd out on a lot because um, I don't know, like I, I managed cafes early in my career and I hated all of like the binders of like paper checklists. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So <laughs> any, cause you know, it was hard to follow, hard to track, hard to hold people accountable. Um, if I wasn't looking at it as a manager, how could I expect my staff to also want to open that thing and check it off and sign it off? That yeah. probably just means I was a terrible manager. <laughs> I like that we're saying that like task management is cool. This is like signs of adulthood for sure. All of the like <laughs> children baristas listening who are excited about like new it, grinders and things. It's like the coffee toys. I know. We I know, right? It. They want they want us to get back to recipes and like flow rates, TDS, shot volume, water temperature. We're here for a digital checklist. Yeah. <laughs> but not that that stuff isn't cool either. Like all of that data with like in in training and education, like how do you think that that data could be helpful, especially across like for example, yeah, like let's take Stumptown or Counterculture or Blue Bottle for that matter. And right. like with multiple locations and, you know, they had to have robust kind of training across various cafes or right. various right. retail um, partners. Like how do you, what are the implications of that type of technology in that context? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I want to blow it up even bigger and even say like a roaster and Stumptown's a good example that has a robust wholesale program. Yeah. Like, your very important wholesale accounts. Well, I mean, it, should they be connected as well so that you have some visibility as far as what's happening there? And they mm -hmm. also can sort of benefit from like the internal expertise from like the flavor deciders within the company. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think from a training perspective, it's, um, you know, and, and kind of putting on the hat of somebody who might be new to the company, whether they're a new barista or not, just having that, like one stop shop, even if it's not a connected machine, right? If it's just your pour over program or it could be espresso, it could be the connected machine, but just having that standardized reference where you can just log in and say, okay, what is our like single origin Rwandan espresso supposed to be tasting like? And how did they dial it in in the lab? Like, right? Oh mm -hmm. my gosh, I'm opening. I've only opened twice before. I can't remember, right? It gives you a starting point. 
Um, yeah. And I think that builds a lot of confidence in, in baristas, even a skilled barista. Like I want a starting point. I mean, I might make the coffee so I love it, but maybe that's different than how like the company wants to be serving it and what my customers are going to expect. Um, so just having that like centralized reference of here's how to make the coffee, here's what it should take, taste like, and then having the power, and this is where I think the training comes in, right? It's like, well, let's try this, right? Let's go in and let's see what happens if you change the grind and the shot is a little bit higher volume and faster. What happens if you go the other way and it's a little bit more of a ristretto shot? Yeah. Help them then to sort of guide them and the implications of those decisions from a flavor standpoint, that's always where it starts, but then you also kind of back it up with the data. And maybe they set that as the new recipe for the day. I think that's that's huge. Um, and it just takes it out of all the anecdotes and it actually gives you like something meaty to hook into. Yeah. We've got to figure out our tech issues with our little black box on our machine because I don't get to mess with any of this stuff because it doesn't work right now. Ah, so frustrating. I know. Um, Frustrating for everyone. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But even without that black box that does all the logging, right? Like you could still at least have the benefit of the the recipes and the ability for somebody to at least type in like flavor notes. Yeah. Um, and I, and I keep coming back to the flavor piece because of a time in the past when VST came out with the first nice coffee refractometer that was within the realm of most good cafes to purchase one. And I see Bronwyn smiling here. And, um, right, and I remember I went to this thing at like at a lab in Portland and, and Vince, the kind of inventor and owner of the company, sold everybody on it. And then you know what happened, at least in Portland coffee for the next like couple of weeks was almost everybody's coffee got worse. Like everybody started getting <laughs> these refractometers and either, you know, and either they didn't really know how to use it um, or they were using it correctly. And they were so obsessed on the data and like hitting some like arbitrary spot on an arbitrary chart that thank God UC Davis is trying to fix for us um, that they kind of stopped tasting the coffee, right? Yeah, And I think everybody kind of recorrected and they started tasting the coffee first using the data as a validation point and as a point to maybe get a little bit better. But, you know, it, it wasn't just serving the name of data, which is kind of what happened short term. So I want to make sure we don't fall back into that trap. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that actually leads in really well to our next question. That like with all of the technology there have been some aspects that are very useful. Um, For example, like puck presses are really great. On-demand grinders have been a huge game changer. Um, So, you know, there's been some increased consistency um, and, you know, skills across the board. Um, But how does it take away from the art of coffee or does it enhance it? Does it harm it? You know, what's... What are your feelings around that part of the conversation? Yeah, I think um, I'm so glad you mentioned Puck Press because that was something I wanted to hate so much when it first Me came too. out. Me too, and I love it. I'm obsessed with the I Puck know. Press. I, it's I great. I am too. And like, right? And like, I had one in my lab and I would use it and I was like, ah, oh, this is lame. And then the first time I like actually walked into a cafe to like work with some baristas and they had a Puck Press and we were actually like doing volume, I was 
just like so happy to have it there. It like instantly changed my mind. It doesn't matter who's on lunch and who dialed in. That's yep. like the best part about it, I think, is like the dial in is the dial in. Right. It has saved so many baristas' wrists. Yeah. And yes, shoulders. Thank you. <laughs> totally. Thank you. Absolutely. It's amazing. Um, so what does that do to the art of coffee? I think that's a great question. And and it, it's almost like this bigger philosophical question about like where is coffee going and where are we now, right? It's like the famous, you know, <laughs> is the third wave the end or is there something after? And I mean, I hope what it does is that it frees up baristas to like be super nice and to really know the coffee, right? Like to me, that's what it's about. It's about really knowing your product and really being able to engage and listen to a customer to get them a product that's perfect for them. And if technology can make that somehow easier by either taking off their mind, like all the little details and tasks like we talked about, or with a puck press, making it super easy to get consistent tamps, or if it's at a roasting machine and making it really easy for a junior roaster to roast coffee just as well as a lead roaster. Mm. Like, I'm all for that, right? Like, baristas are there for the service of our customers. And, like, you know, I kind of hate to say it, but also customers probably want consistent before they want super delicious. Um, hopefully we give them both delis de super delicious, consistent coffee. Um, but that's a great point. Like, I think most coffee people would say if they're like on a road trip in the middle of nowhere, they're going to be more willing to stop at Starbucks than some like random cafe. Cause you know what you're getting. It's consistent. That's true. Right. Um, so I think that's, that's the trick, right? And that's, that's at least the promise of technology kind of in this, specialty coffee space is how can we deliver awesome an awesome product that is the highest quality level that we can provide but do that consistently and if technology can deliver that i don't care if it's like a super automatic eversys machine and i've got a client up in washington that has a bunch of drive-throughs they've got a whole army of eversys machines yep. that are dialed in across all these locations the coffee tastes great and like it's just one thing off their plate and those baristas are like the nicest, most enthusiastic people. Um, so a hundred percent, I'm totally for it in that case. And, and I, and I want the technology like to empower the baristas, right? Like just because you have a tool that's somewhat automated doesn't mean that there aren't decisions to make about how to dial in and what tastes best and to go from there. So giving baristas tools or roasters tools or coffee producers tools that, kind of make the data part like seamless and make that support the work that they're already doing is so important. And it's like whatever that technology is, if it's a data driven technology like Cropster or if it's a automation technology like an Eversys machine or like the AI and Cropster roast, or if it's a puck press, like cool, right? Like if that can help folks to be better service professionals to their customers and to ultimately produce better coffee by focusing on what's happening with the coffee and knowing and understanding the coffee, knowing how to talk about it. Great, right? Let me dial in kind of once and let the technology handle the variances throughout the day, right? That's kind of the promise of like an Eversys machine. That's awesome because I still get to decide what that coffee should taste like. I still dial it in. I still set it 
I still know what it what the flavor is and how to sell that to my customer. But my customer gets a drink that tastes the same no matter who's working on bar, no matter what time of day it is, no matter if it's like a super rainy, foggy morning or a super sunny, hot afternoon. So I think that's super powerful. And who doesn't want technology on their team for something like that? Do you think that coffee is better because of or as a result of all this technology? Better in quotes, y'all. Right. I, I think it probably <laughs> is. I mean, there's always exceptions, right? There's always like the mad wizard that's, you know, like Bear Pond in Japan making coffee like super crazy or, you know, roasters that are using like pen and paper on a hundred year old machine that just produce something sublime. But, but I think in general it is better because we have people that come to coffee for a variety of reasons, right? baristas who are working a summer job or working part-time after school, whatever it is, right alongside people who are deeply passionate and really care. Or that example, Kathy, of the road trip, right? And um, what's the safe bet? You know, it's like if technology can make that cafe better, I think that's awesome. Um, yeah. And certainly technology has to have some part to play in it, right? Because now most small towns have a specialty cafe, probably a specialty roaster. And I've been so pleasantly surprised by the quality of those places as I travel around, right? It's like if you kind of look in the window and it's clean and there's, there's visual cues, right? Well, it's clean. They have decent equipment. Like um, the coffee's not super oily in a dirty hopper. Like, okay, like I'm going to try it. And probably tech technology makes that better. Um, and definitely with coffee producers, right? Like coffee farmers are getting older and how do we like engage younger people in it and bringing technology to the forefront. And I think for coffee producers, the ability to, I don't care if it's engage with customers on social media and WhatsApp, or if it's to cup their coffees using Cropster Cup and share the results digitally, or if they're tracking every single step of their production and running their coffee farm like any other manufacturing business from harvest to you know the outturn of floaters to the outturn from processing like being able to track all that stuff and have all that data like professionalizes the industry and i think we see more we do see a little bit of an uptick in young people interested in coffee farming too so if technology's bring delivering on that promise, that's awesome. So yeah, I guess it makes coffee better. So we're introducing a new segment this season, another one for all you <laughs> listeners called crying over spilled milk. Kathy, yes. you want to explain? Well, we were trying to come up with a name for this, and this is not my uh, crying over spilled milk story, um, but obviously many of us are probably familiar with the term crying over spilled milk or not crying over spilled milk. Um, but I was working not in the cafe, but I was at the cafe and watched a barista take one of those five-gallon bags of milk that has, like, the nozzle, and you flip it into the, like, holder and put it in the little milk fridge thing, the nozzle popped off. And that was five gallons of milk all over the floor. 
Um, so, you know, kind of like a kitchen nightmare situ- situation, but for the cafe. Um, and so that's kind of where the name came from. Um, and I think that it's okay to cry over spilled milk. True. Personally. Just eventually you'll stop and then you'll clean it up and then it's fine. Yeah. Five gallons is a lot to clean. Five up, gallons all at once. Oh. Yep. It's so much. <laughs> it's so much. So, Marcus, we would love to hear your crying over spilled milk story. I feel like oh everybody gosh, has one, at least. It is. It is. It's a story I still cry over a little bit. But um, it's it has to do with a U.S. barista competition and a coffee that's near and dear to me. It's Niaminga, which is a women's cooperative in Rwanda that when I moved to Rwanda, they were like the first like when I first started working there, even before I moved, this co-op was like the first, the first farmers that I met. And I remember talking to Asteri, the president, and I'm like, well, like I'm just here for an importer and yeah, we've got a grant, but I need to know what you want and what we can do for you. And the first thing she said was buy me a washing station. I said, well, that's probably not going to happen, but like, let's, let's figure <laughs> it out, right? Let's start this relationship and see where we can go. So of course, fast forward a couple of years and I've been living there now and we bought them a washing station and, um, they got to set up, set it up and working with it. It was all a lot of work with local agronomists and train the trainers. And this is like a whole situation where like the average size of a coffee farm is like measured in the number of trees, right? It's like 180 trees or something in Rwanda. So I love this cooperative. Like Esther is like my Rwandan mom. I still like, I bought this coffee. Like I just contracted it two weeks ago for this year. And I was so proud because this competitor was going to use this coffee at USBC. And she did. And it was great. And she had a great routine. And I got to be there and watch her prep runs and her practice and know how she was working with the coffee. And she's up there on stage and she's grinding and she smells potato defect. Right? So most of our listeners are coffee pros. They're familiar with potato defect, perhaps. Um, so she dumps the shot, right? And she purges, purges, purges. But you know, potato defect, especially through an espresso grinder, just kind of fills the room. Um, she kept her cool, right? Just like played it off, totally went through it, ground the shot, you know, dosed, tamped the whole nine yards, pulled the shot for the judges, served the shot. But guess what? That shot also had potato defect. Oh, no. Um, so, right, so that all came out in the final scores. And, you know, but what can you do? It's just sort of in the air. I mean, now people are, like, never going to buy Niaminga, but don't. Like, call Sustainable Harvest and buy that coffee. It's awesome. Um, but um, that's the – look, I'm not even pitching my own company here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that is my, like, tearful story because it was, like, this amazing culmination of, like, the first year this coffee had been, like, really, like, exported under the name – Niaminga, like they did all of this hard work. Um, the first year that they had processed it themselves and not just paid to have it sort of outsourced at another washing station. Wah, wah. There, it is. there it is, right? Um, I um, actually remember this because I was competing at USBC that year. And I remember the hearing the competitor because I think I was like backstage. And yeah, I remember that. I didn't, I don't uh, dwell upon it regularly though. So don't, you know, don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) um, And I mean, you know, the 
the co the co-ops a success by all metrics. Like that roaster still buys that coffee. Yeah. Um, other roasting companies are buying that coffee. It's just phenomenal. Many roasters nice still buy coffee. Rwandan coffees in general, yep. regardless. Yes. But that could be another episode too. <laughs> is coffee defects? Yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you also asked what I was drinking to start this, and the other sto piece of that story is I cupped five coffees today, and two of them had mold. Oh, um, fun! Delicious. So, yeah, delicious. <laughs> so, but yeah, so that's that's my cried over spilled milk story. It's just it's still heartbreaking. Totally yeah. get that. Yeah. Well, that's it. We did it. We made it to the end. Um, thank you oh so gosh. much. I want to say, thank you. I want to say something positive though. Now I'm just like leaving. <laughs> the podcast. So sad. Leave us <laughs> with something positive, Marcus. <laughs> But no, it's... Um, Final thoughts. No, this is awesome. Thank you all. I really enjoyed this conversation and your perspective on this topic of technology as well. It's just fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to answer all of our questions about what you do and where technology is taking us. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you again to Marcus for talking technology and the future of robots in coffee with us. Even though technology in coffee can be hard to accept at times, it has helped in furthering quality and consistency. We're excited to see where it can continue to push the limits of where the specialty coffee industry can go. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week to talk more coffee with you all. Until then, continue to drink good coffee don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and keep up with us on Instagram at Totally Dissolve Pod. Send us questions or thoughts in the DMs or email us at totallydissolvepod at gmail.com. Bye, Bye for, for now. now.